This is Love's Outer Limits, and I'm your host, Dr. Amy Marsh, sexologist, hypnotist, lots of other kinds of things, and I'm with my co-host, M. Christian, otherwise known as Chris, erotica writer, sexuality writer, sexual futurist, and also lots of all kinds of other things. We've got a great show lined up for you today, so welcome. Chris, well, Happy New Year, and here we are on, oh, a new season of Love's Outer Limits, and we're actually in proximity instead of hundreds of miles away doing this recording, so it's quite wonderful. So how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, new year, new projects, you know, new everything, it feels like, kind of a, a, a renewal and reinvention phase, but yeah, this is such a wonderful treat. It is so funny. It's like, after all that time, and then, you know, suddenly you're right here. <laughs> right, right. We are right here. And uh, in case our listeners hear strange skittering noises or meows, we have one of seven cats here being incredibly entertaining and uh, wanting to get in on all the action. So Freya is, may very well be part of this podcast. <laughs> we never know. And uh, yeah, chuckles, chuckles are usually at cat antics. So, gosh, 2022, what do we have to say about anything or everything? Well, I mean, Let's I, think, just jump in. I think the big news is you coming up here. That was an adventure and a half. And you've been here now for six months or so? No, no, it's it was mid-August, so it hasn't been quite that long. But it's feeling great. And uh, you helped me caravan up here with all the cats, which was amazing. <laughs> and definitely, I don't know how I could have gotten out of here. Uh, out of Lake County without your help. It was really uh, just so necessary and important. And thank you for that still. And uh, yeah, being up here with an entirely different life, uh, being in the middle of civilization again, I'm liking it, especially because it's a fairly hip, progressive uh, little pocket of Oregon. Uh, not 100% of course, nothing is, but I'm liking it a lot. Yeah, but aside from the move, what else have we got going on? Well, your book just got sent off to the publisher and that's gonna happen very soon. I sure hope so, yeah. Uh, it's actually with the copy editor right now, as far as I know, and we're still trying to determine the cover art, but I'm really looking forward to the dire deeds of the Guild of Ornamental Hermits being available for people to read. And um, yeah, I have to finish the fourth book, but the other two are also at the publishers now, but we'll see when she wants to put them out. Yeah, but you've been working on some stuff. Who are you writing for these days? Kind of writing for the usual suspects. Nothing really changed. It's so funny, you know, comparing what you've gone through and be moving up here, a whole different world to explore, you know, kind of a whole different shift and all kinds of different things. And I'm sitting here going, well, kind of business as usual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Aside from the, the absolute pleasure of having you up here and the adventures we've gotten into, even considering COVID lockdowns and, you know, all that general weirdness. But yeah, I'm mean, still writing for like Future Sex, Kinkly, um, Teledildonics. I'm still working on a couple of things. And uh, speaking of books, I am. Um, you just did a wonderful introduction to the nonfiction book, the sexual education nonfiction book, uh, a sexual education in air quotes. Um, I did with Ralph Grico Jr. and that one, as yet untitled, 
And you did the introduction to that, which I'm eternally grateful for. And that is going to be turned into the same publisher, probably about uh, three or four days. Excellent. Yeah, that was a fun read. I really enjoyed that. And uh, we'll be sure to tell our listeners when that's available. Absolutely. But you didn't mention one of the websites you're working for. Hmm? Killing Kittens. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm, yeah, I've yeah. actually, yeah, I, I think about like three months ago, maybe four, mm -hmm. I started writing for Killing Kittens. And I have to say, they're a great, I mean, all the places I write for are great. I'm so blessed that I don't have anybody who really drives me crazy, at least not much. And Killing Kittens, I started to write quite a bit. In fact, I have two new articles to write for them, mm -hmm. uh, probably this week or so. And they're fantastic. Um, and that's just Killing Kittens. Is, they're pretty well known for being sexology and putting on parties and such like that. Thank you for reminding me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, though I have to say, I, I still kind of blanch inwardly at the name of the website. I feel it's very unfortunate for a sex positive website to be named something like that. And though I can get grim and, and dark and, and disgusting in my, you know, punk rock humor, I still, you know, have a little bit of problems with that, but whatever, they sound like a good place to work for. Why don't you just give our listeners the idea of a, a couple of the topics that you've covered in whatever website, but I think people would like to know what you're actually writing about, not just the fact that you oh. have an article. Well, thank you. I mean, it's funny because they kind of fall into two different categories. The first one is what the publisher or the editor wants. And this is, you know, I'm, again, it's, I'm very fortunate that, you know, I get an email from someone saying, hey, you know, would you want to review the sex toy? Or do you want, we need someone to write about polyamory or bondage or something like that. And being the unabashed slut that I am, I don't say no, unless it's something that totally I have no information on. I can't fake, you know, total ignorance. Mm -hmm. um, so I just like, oh, sure, sign me up. Other times I send in pitches and that can usually be anything from a very loose idea to kind of like a complex breakdown. But yeah, I mean, I've done everything from uh, polyamory, I mentioned before, bondage, um, caning, you know, uh, cupping, um, all kinds of different things. Sometimes it's a little bit more like I did um, an article on demisexuality and sapiosexuality for Kinkley. Um, I would do speculative, you know, kind of like science, you know, pushed forward kind of sexuality articles for future of sex. Um, but yeah, the ones I have actually do now is like five different sex toy reviews. And then I have to write about uh, polyamory and threesomes for killing kittens. And that doesn't even discount the, the sites that I also write for who will pop up probably over the next couple of weeks saying, hey, we need this by Tuesday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you're constantly dealing with deadlines. But you manage to stay relatively sane? Oh, relatively. I mean, sanity is always a very subjective thing. Um, you know, aside from the, you know, the, the, the dime store trolls that, you know, keep encountering my feet in the middle of the night, I think I'm pretty, you know, keeping my head above water. But again, I'm kind of fortunate that rarely do I actually get a deadline. Um, you know, I actually had to write one really quickly for Future of Sex. That's the one thing I have to go, you know, after we record this, that's my work for the afternoon. Uh, but most of the time, they're kind of little loosey-goosey. And, mm -hmm. you know, most places are understanding, too, if you're a day or so late, they're not going to, like, you know, send you the place that shall not be named where, you know, writers go to die. We we don't want writers to go die. <laughs> we, we want them to revive again and come back as literary zombies. They don't get to die. No way. Uh, yeah, well, that's great. I think it's uh, fun for people to know what you're writing about. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think on my end. As you know, as you know, because I've talked your ear off about it, my big, 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 big thing these days, my 
all-consuming special interest is spectrosexuality, spiritu intimacy, and uh, the different kinds of relationships that human beings have been having with non-corporeal beings for probably as long as there have been people. And uh, so I'm in the process of trying to get together a really good study for a change rather than just, uh, I shouldn't disparage myself, but my, my surveys have been non-scientific. They get some interesting information, qualitative uh, things I think are more important than the numbers. And it's been important to, I don't know, my curiosity in my career to do these kinds of things. I still get calls to be interviewed about objectum sexuality. In fact, I'm going to be on NPR later this month. I think the show is called Audacious. And I was recently interviewed on How to Do It, which is on Slate. But again, that was objectum sexuality. So I cannot wait for people to start calling me about the juicy ghost sex stuff. <laughs> That's going to be lots of fun. So anybody who wants to talk to me about how you summon up you know, a hot demon for a hot date, please. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> Get in touch with me at Dr. Sexologist at gmail.com. And I'll be happy to come on your show and talk about all things sexy and spooky. And even if it's not Halloween, it's a really important topic because ghost sex, deity sex, spirit sex, deceased spouse sex can happen any time of the year. All right. Okay. Well, moving along. <laughs> yes, you can tell. You all can tell what my year is going to be like. But more and more, I'm really moving into an interest in the sex and sexological aspects of the occult, particularly the Western occult traditions. And it's completely compelling. I mean, how much fun is one person allowed to have? I don't know, but this topic is definitely uh, going to keep me going for some years yet and uh, having a great time with it. So let's see. <laughs> So we have some really interesting creative projects. And one of the things we're going to talk about is, Chris, you have been making these exquisite, very interesting, I don't know, object collages? What would you call these? I'm not too sure exactly. It's, it's I mean, the reason I do them is because I find that, you know, being spending most of my time writing, it's all very mental activity. And sometimes I need to sort of change that or focusing very physical. So I've been playing around with little art collages, pieces, and so forth. Um, yeah, for I also decided to, you know, the new year to sort of redecorate my environment, change it around completely, because being the son of an interior decorator, it's one of those things where environment has kind of been you know, pushed into my DNA. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I made like three little box art pieces. And then I made uh, probably like about six little freestanding ones. And, you know, I'm, I'm not too sure exactly about the quality, but there's just something I do is kind of almost like a spiritual meditative practice. So it's it's kind of like in visualizing. I also particularly love playing with things like commonality of patterns, you know, how like computer circuits and molecular 
um, structures and maps and spider webs and sacred geometry, the the you know mandalas and mm -hmm. and you know all this kind of thing, always have this kind of like connection to each other, and I do like playing around with that. So yeah, I've, I've done. They're fun. They're just something I kind of like do as my found art objects. So I'm going to describe to our listeners what we're what I'm actually looking at. You're showing me pictures of uh, some of these recent projects of yours on the phone. And they're, uh, the first three are in little boxes. They're what, like about four inches square, mm -hmm. five inches square. And then inside, so this first one has an incredible kind of graphic looking eye uh, with a, a thick eyeliner around it. And in some ways it almost looks like an ancient Egyptian rendering of an, of an eye just because it has the dark line around it and it's very simple and graphic. And then you've got this golden geometric shape on top of it so it's very very pleasing and then you've got something in the middle that's shiny and a pale kind of an green or an aqua <laughs> color something like that and then in the next box well what one can you me really quickly the interesting sure. about this one is the photograph is actually from a piece of graffiti um, oh, okay. sort of like a little sideways hobby I have sometimes when I take my walks around the neighborhood, I find interesting public art and graffiti and take photographs of it and then either play around with it or just simply use it as its own because it constantly, once again, kind of, I love that connection to like Neolithic art and like you mentioned mm -hmm. before, Egyptian art, but it's also very contemporary. Like there's like commonality, a thread that exists between all of them. So that's actually from a piece of a public art. I think it's actually from here in Eugene somewhere. Oh, but anyway, okay. so that's where that, that one came from. Okay, so the next one has a picture of the Earth from space and a sort of interesting small silver face, um, beautifully done with beads around it like a headdress and a geometric shape with many patterns. And then these several spires, metal, silver metal, I don't know what they are, but they're very intriguing and they're glued to the bottom. They, they look like four nails from outer space. <laughs> it's a really, it's a really cool assembly of uh, objects. Visually, it's very, very interesting. And wow. I like how you made these uh, kind of the beaded headdress over the face, which uh, looks very serene, almost Buddha-like in a way. But tell me about this one. Oh, thank you. Well, the, uh, the beads are actually compute their resistors. For electronics, oh, and the same thing. The uh, the patterns here are actually circuit boards. Oh, and um, the, the the spires, I guess you can call them, or the points, are actually from the extremely seductive bead store that happens to be very close to a certain person's house. Mm. Um, that to, even today calls. It beckons. There's something about this place. It's really a wonderful place, and that's where those came from. They're actually, I think, for um, connecting to the end of like necklace strands. Oh, okay. Um, or I but, could see them maybe used as uh, also for earrings, if mm -hmm. you got a bead. So they're conical mm -hmm. and they're ornate. They're how cool. I like this very much. All right. Yes. And that bead store is seductive. And this third one is, <laughs> I can't quite tell what the background is, but it looks like it might be one of your photographs of mm -hmm. street art. Okay. And then there is a floating female figure, uh, with bondage or her, her, uh, arms are tied behind your back and her uh, lower half of her legs is tied also. So she's just kind of floating and her head's up. She almost looks like a ship figurehead, only she's horizontal. 
and uh, yeah, so talk to me about this one. Well, this was actually, again, the photograph is from like public art. Actually, I think it's from, from paint, peeling paint somewhere. And, you know, the figure is just, it's, the figure actually got very long time ago, back when I was probably in my middle 20s, I had picked up a bunch of Japanese modeling magazines and modeling meaning not people modeling, but, you know, like, you know, trains and planes and so mm. forth. And they found a little ad in the back of it selling these little bondage figures. And I really wasn't into the scene by then. It was just something really interesting and fun and cool and sexy. So I wrote them and they wrote back, you know, and I ordered these pieces pretty much blind. This is pre-internet. Mm, so I got okay. this one and another one and it's just sort of been around for a while. So I thought, well, might as well memorialize it and put it in a box. Yeah, it looks, it looks great. Very interesting. So now we're looking at three of the freestanding, uh, well, they're, they're on bases, wooden bases. Uh, and uh, there's three of them. So uh, one looks robotic with something behind it that looks almost like a compass. I can't see so well from the, uh, it looks more like a, I don't know what it is. It looks mystic, hey, and uh, something that's like a metal gear. And, uh, and then there's a, a woman with a red top with this. Oh, there's a rose. Okay, so it's not a red top. Oh, okay, so she, here's a, uh, she looks like a, uh, a Natsuki mm -hmm. figure. And uh, she's got her legs apart and there's a skull with a rose on top of it in front of her lap. And then there's a claw and then more skulls and these blue flowers, they almost look like icing flowers, but I know they're not. They just kind of have that uh, feeling as if you'd see them on a cake. So these are interesting. Talk mm -hmm. about these. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. I did the boxes and the boxes were just, again, kind of like collages. Mm -hmm. I keep thinking of like, you know, something like, you know, like how like certain artists would do this and find, you know, found objects and put them together. And just, once again, kind of in little kind of exercise of pattern recognition and so mm -hmm. forth. But the robot is actually from Ashley Wood. And I think it's 3A is his company. He makes these really wonderful, you know, robots and figures and such. And this one's an extremely small version of one of them. Mm -hmm. And the figure, the, the cog is kind of like a halo. And it's actually a spiritual, a mystic, you know, uh, enneagram, um, you know, pattern or something similar I got okay. for dollhouses of all things. And you're correct. The other figure is a is a Natsuki. Okay. And it's part of one. The other one's fooling around somewhere. And it just kind of reminded me, kind of like it, it kind of conjured up a little bit of Mesoamerican, you know, mm -hmm. sort of Japanese. It's kind of like in the cycle of life with the erotic figure and then the skull. Mm -hmm. And the other one is actually chicken foot. Oh, okay. It's a okay. resin copy of one. So I thought it's like you know. It's kind of interesting to sort of connect the hand of glory to chicken feet and how mm -hmm. they're often used and you know for you know eating as well as for their symbology. So again, it's kind of they're both that those two are kind of like tree of life kind of um little effigies, I guess you can call them. I kind of call them fetishes, mm -hmm. not in a sexual term, but just kind of the same way that you know it's kind of like a mystical three-dimensional kind of form. Um, but yeah, it's just it's kind of it's interesting. It's like one of my favorite things to do when I'm like not writing, it's just sort of like put on a silly movie, put on something else, put on some music and just get my box of bits and bobs that I've collected and just say, okay, that, no, this one, okay, that one fits there and so forth and just sort of assemble them. Yeah, yeah, these are great. I love what they look like. Uh, it looks like on this uh, final one, I believe this is the last picture you have. Again, you've got, uh, it looks like a bird skull or a replica of a bird skull uh, with the beak, uh, 
pointing downwards, sort of attached to the to the box. And then there are two, there's kind of a gear sort of halo behind it. And, uh, and then there's two wing type shapes. And it looks like you put the silver leaf on that mm -hmm. or actually aluminum leaf. And there, this is a very delicate piece because the wing looks like they're on copper wires or something. And uh, yeah, this looks like it must have taken a lot of concentration to try to get something this delicate <laughs> made. So talk about this one, please. Oh, this is a fun one. This is again, this sort of like just came together. Um, the, the bird skull actually came when I was da dabbling in resin casting, which I still might get back into. It's quite fun. Um, and it's really, you can do some really interesting stuff. So that one's actually resin cast. And then I painted it with a metallic paint pen. And the symbol behind it is actually from a uh, bulk order of various sacred geometry jewelry pieces I got from, I think, China. Okay. And the wings are actually from uh, uh, scrapbooking. There's a whole, you know, the whole subculture of scrapbooking has gotten pretty esoteric. Okay. And I found some very interesting shapes and forms and such. So I kind of like binged and got a whole bunch of them, including the wing shapes. And you're completely correct. The, the aluminum is from aluminum leafing, which you're wonderfully, you know, you know, so, so sweet to donate. And the stand actually this time is from a die mold. It's a wooden piece that's used to shape uh, metal pieces. Okay. And it's no longer basically done, but they're still kind of interesting. You can find these things in antique stores sometimes. But yeah, this is just, there's all a couple of other ones I didn't take photographs of because they're not quite for public consumption. Okay. Um, not that they're really outrageous, but you know, one of them is a penis tree, okay. which I definitely will take a picture of later on. But yeah. It was well, just, on, on, on this show, we're able to say the word penis and talk yeah. about penis. So it's True. nice. Um, so I'll expect to see a picture of the penis tree <laughs> by the time we do our next podcast. <laughs> this is wonderful. Thank you for showing these to me. And I think it's imp important uh, what you're touching on is what do we do when we're not writing and what other parts of creative things are we tapping into and uh, how do we let that nourish our writing and to work visually and put things together again we're, we're taking words and, and piecing them together you're taking images and objects and and uh, just Kind of letting things burble up from your subconscious and and play it's it's like you don't have a deadline for this which is one of the nice things about it right nobody's saying you've got to make 40 penis trees by mm -hmm. next week and i'll <laughs> let you make your rent from money you know from these penis trees so it's relaxing right absolutely uh, yeah and i think it's all i think it's also like you said very important i think that if you're creative you're creative Right. And it'll come out in all kinds of different places. I mean, one of my favorite stories is that I was talking to a friend of mine who was was bemoaning the fact that I hadn't written in like three or four months. And I was just chatting the crowd, like, you know, booster booster ego a bit there and say, so you you know, and I mentioned, what have you been doing? And they said, oh, I've been working in my garden. Um, I put together like, you know, some artwork. I, you know, did some sketching. I did some cooking. And it's like, well, creativity is creativity. You know, it's going to come out everywhere. And you can't bash yourself because one isn't coming out because creativity will kind of flow to different directions. And I do think it actually works, you know, in, in a wonderful way to fuel all the other creativities. So if you get that kind of your brain going and then in a playful play with it, and that's the crew to anything, I think, as far as creativity is play. Because yeah. if you don't enjoy what you're doing, then it's going to grind you down. So it's, it's important to find the joy in everything. And if it's not from one place, 
then just put it aside for a little while and try something different. And it could be like gardening, it could be designing, it could be playing with your environment, it could be music, it could be food, it could be anything. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, it's also, I think, just also a good way of disconnecting yourself. Sometimes you're facing a, a creative impasse. You know, this, it's kind of the same way that I will sometimes play video games. You know, I'll write a story or something and get stuck. I'll just switch over and play a video game for half an hour because it disconnects my critical thinking brain and the self-conscious one. And the artwork is the same way. I'll get my big box of various bits out and start playing around with them. And no goal in mind, but it also helps sort of like disconnect that critical part. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, there have been times where I'm writing fiction and I'll get a little bit stuck on plot and I will bring out the deck, one of my decks of tarot cards and I'll do a reading. And this has been an amazing method for pointing me in some kind of plot direction that ends up being just right. Uh, visually, you mentioned gardening. Uh, I have the feeling that the garden around this house, the, the front yard, the backyard will be, uh, definitely a creative spur and repository. I can feel these sorts of things burbling around. And that is a great physical thing to do as well as the visualizing and also becoming more attuned with the plants and so on, you know, what this environment is like here in this house where I'm living. So that, that uh, I think that was a really fun topic. Thank, well, thank you for you. showing me that. And Let's... if you follow me on Twitter and Instagram, which we'll, we'll put you know, in, the, in the show notes, you can see some of them. Um, I haven't posted some of the other ones just because you know, social media may not like the idea of a penis tree, but the other ones you can definitely see. And I'm going to posting more in the future because I do want to do more of this as just sort of, again, a way of celebrating creativity and not focusing so much on writing equal money. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think that we are due uh, for our own uh, individual creative renaissance. I feel as if uh, this year, for some reason, this new year, that there's there are going to be several bursts. At least I feel that for myself. I'm hoping that you also get that as well. But that... Uh, that there's a lot we can do. And, uh, but I wanna go to the past for, for a minute and talk for a little bit about this last year and what were the main bumps to creative process, to joy, to whatever it is you wanted to do. Um, you don't have to get really personal. And um, I would say, speak in a general way. I mean, I, I think you and I both have our issues that we struggle with. We don't need to put this all out on the podcast, but I think that uh, there's a definite, there's a definite process that we all went through last year. And a lot of it was pertaining to COVID. And um, we thought we were getting through it. And then the Omicron variant came up we had Delta and then now we've got Omicron. So let's, let's talk about last year a little bit. What, uh, what was, what was hard for you or what got in your way? Oh, it's so fun. It's, it's, it's funny because uh, 2019, I remember when that ended, everyone was going, Oh, thank 
God, this this year is over, and there made a, there was a big production. You know, actually, 2020, when people made a big production of, oh my God, 2020 is a trash fire, and then. 2021 came around, we got you know, a new president, we got some old things, and now the same kind of thing happens towards the end of the year. It's like, oh my God, another trash fire. Um, but you know, it, it, is, it is kind of like a ridiculous roller coaster. I mean, it's just, it's between the political situation and then between the whole situation with you know COVID and dealing with the fact that we should have been through this, if not for people being, excuse the judgment, idiotic about not getting vaccinated or wearing masks, then we're going you feel sometimes like we're going backwards, but particularly, I think this was a rough year just because we had that very small window of, oh my God, we've reached the vaccination rate. We've reached this little place. I still remember going out. I can't remember when this was like March of last year. I can't remember specifically. I'm horrible with times and dates, but anyway, I remember going out and thinking it was so weird that so many people were unmasked and how there was this kind of almost stalemate-ish kind of res mutual respect and almost it kind of reminded me of the christmas truce from the first world war mm. that you have like you know there's people who were like you know there's the anti-mask and then there's the the mask people but because of this window of saying that we didn't need the mat we didn't need the mask snakes because of a uh, vaccine it became this kind of like weird kind of like surreal kind of like in between time and so I remember walking through the stores and I would sometimes wear a mask and sometimes not because I was still used to it but at the same time also wanted to be respectful and show the support but no one ever really got aggressive or angry it was just kind of like this weird little dance we were doing but then of course you know because people refused to wear their masks and they refused to get vaccinated we had to go right back again with the delta variant now omicron so we're back to what we were doing before but it was a surreal time it was like you're not sure how to act sometimes and i remember going into places and seeing this the mandates mask signs were just gone for the first time mm -hmm. um but yeah it was it was pretty disturbing um but i do think it's like it's weird that we're kind of going into the second phase of severe lockdown um, not that it really ever really left, but it did go back to the, you know, a little more stringent. So that's been kind of throwing things off a bit. Yeah, it's difficult. It's, uh, you, it's as if you hardly know what to expect from one day or one week to the next. But now my experience here of, of Springfield and Eugene is that I see the signs in the store, wear your mask. Uh, there is only one place and it really sort of upset me a little bit uh, where the sign was, you don't need to wear a mask, we'd like to see you smile. And if this store hadn't been kind of the only game in town for what it offered, I probably would not have gone in and, and uh, patronized it, but because that seemed dangerous. And I also didn't like this kind of, we wanna see you smile thing as, uh, somebody who's been told most of my life, oh, why don't you smile? Mm -hmm. So when you're assigned female at birth, a lot of times people tell you what expression you can have on your face or not. And, uh, but anyway, so that kind of pushed those little buttons. But I'm very happy with what I see up here in terms of people wearing their masks. They may not have them on the street if there's a stretch of sidewalk where they don't have to, but it's, you see, and, uh, you and I do this on our walks. If we're walking without a mask for a while, but somebody's coming towards us or in our vicinity, we both pull them out and put them back on before we get close enough to inflict our, our breath on, <laughs> on another human being. And I like it. There's kind of a, 
a social awareness that that's indicates not just a public health awareness. So that's, that's been good. Um, I think another interesting thing that happened for both of us was, uh, how do I put it? I don't want to say making a new gender. I think for me, it's finally realizing and accepting what has always been a true gender. And I'll let you talk in a minute about that. But I've uh, got a driver's license here in Oregon now that is other. And that's because I finally, after about a 10 year wait, actually uh, decided to go for it and just admit, hey, I'm non-binary and my pronouns are easier. And it actually hasn't been in some ways the most comfortable or happy decision because I think it actually made one of my family members quite unhappy. And that family member, possibly for other reasons, is not talking to me right now. But I think the non-binary proclamation might have been one of the last straws. I could be wrong, but the timing certainly, certainly sucked. And uh, I won't say any more about that, actually. But in other ways, it was a profound relief to just say, you know what? Uh, I'm actually not that. I may look like that, but I'm actually not. And uh, very happy with that. So over to you, Chris. Well, I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful you've done that. I think it's wonderful that you feel this, that, that it has been a transformative you know, uh, you know, act, activity, but transformative, you know, point in your life. And that's mm -hmm. very powerful. And if someone, I don't want to get too sensitive, but if someone has a problem with that, that's their problem. I mean, you know, that's like, you know, the one thing about, you know, about identification is like, no one can tell you, you know, what your identification is as a personal decision. Mm -hmm. um, but I thank you. Well, thank you for that. And I think it's a wonderful and magnificent thing. And, and that's one of the things it's like, often we look at the world and we get disparative about how it's being polarized and how there seems to be so much hate, but at the same time, there's these, these, these little liberation or little advancements mm -hmm. and pronouns and the empowerment of being able to say who you are is so wonderful and I, I still to this moment when I'm looking at social media and I come across someone and they mention their pronouns even if it's cisgender pronouns mm -hmm. that is such a touching little moment right and I just really respect that I think it's always one thing that always makes me just like said giddy um but yeah I mean it's it you know for for me it just like you know, like a couple of months ago I was I was doing a lot of thinking about this and I decided um not, it, it's it's kind of twofold, lesser so with support, more so that for the longest time, I've never felt I belong anywhere because I don't, you know, really feel masculine or feminine. Mm -hmm. um, if anything, I feel sort of like presentation is asexual, though I have sexuality, mm -hmm. um, but it's never been hinged on you know, masculine or even decidedly feminine attributes. But the one thing that kind of spoke to me is the idea of, of and the comfort and the understanding that I'm a community of individuals, that this person is different than the person who exists within my consciousness, that is different than the person who plays with kitties, that is different than the person who is depressed and just, you know, cries himself to sleep at night. And, and you know, this, this, this person who comes out when I'm writing and the person who comes up when I'm writing fiction versus nonfiction. So I feel like there's a community. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm using they, them 
um, because it feels more real. It feels more natural. It feels more true when someone uses it or I use it on myself, mm -hmm. though I still use I just because it's trying to do the grammar on like writing a document is a pain in the ass. Um, but I, I just feels, again, it feels right. It feels right to say that this is a member of a community mm -hmm. and also a member of a community, both inward and outwardly and showing support for, you know, GLBT and the queer community. It's just, I think, really very important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's interesting to come to this later in life rather than earlier. And I think one of my favorite blogs on this topic was written by Major Arquina, uh, WordPress, and I forget the name of the blog, but I can find it and put it in the show notes. But it was something like the scratchy sweater syndrome. And it was a beautiful way of presenting uh, what it's like to wear the scratchy sweater of gender and identity and you know, you're kind of handed this thing and told this is what you're going to wear. And you go, well, okay, but it's itchy. It's annoying. It doesn't quite fit. Other people seem happy with their sweaters and maybe their sweaters aren't itchy for them. But when you finally say enough with the itchy sweater and you put on the thing that actually really works for you, it can be amazing. And I have had, aside from the one family member, I've had some really lovely responses, uh, a little bit of awkwardness, you know, which is okay. Uh, I expect that, especially from people who've known me for a long time is one thing, they're now having to wrap their head around me as another thing. I'll give them the benefit of a learning curve. I would like to have those benefits myself if I'm uh, trying to genuinely be with somebody in a new aspect or a uh, revealed aspect, I should say, of themselves. This is a revelation, actually, to do this is a revelation, both inwardly and outwardly, as you say. Um, so yeah, so our new pronouns are now in our description of our podcast. Yay for that. And uh, I think we can probably wind up in a few minutes. Let's uh, this is a lot. We haven't done this since May. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I know, before I forget, is there something that you would like us to talk about, dear listeners? Uh, you can uh, send an email. I think I'll put our emails in the show notes. And uh, you can send an email and say, hey, I'd really like it if you talked about XYZ or PQR, and we'll do our best to do that. Uh, I have the feeling that some of our focus is going to shift. Yes, this is love's outer limits, but I have the feeling that we're going to be shifting into other kinds of terrain as well. So creative, occult, uh, maybe cultural issues. And uh, yeah, so, but I still like the title of the podcast, so I don't <laughs> want to change it. Anyway, uh, final thoughts from you, Chris. Oh, I just, I just think it's wonderful you're up here. I, I'm, I have to say that I'm on cloud nine, um, and one because you know it's, I have tremendous you know affection for you, but it's also wonderful to share a place because you know even when we were talking before about you possibly coming up here, I was selling the Eugene Springfield area, oh, but yeah. you know when you're you know one because of COVID and isolation and so forth, you don't really do a lot. 
you know, you just kind of stick to your routine. But now that you're up here, it's so fun to say, hey, I heard about this place. Like mm -hmm. we discovered a gluten-free bakery that is to die for and a laundromat of all places that's now become like a, a major hanging out place and markets that always seem to like there's a new market somewhere or there's, you know, going to the you know, going to the, the craft fairs mm -hmm. or just walking around downtown Springfield and downtown Eugene. It's an absolute delight. And even with the COVID limitations, there's still things to explore and do. Absolutely, yes. And it really is fun. It, totally enjoyable. I've got to say, the laundromat, <laughs> I have not been in a public laundromat for decades because of my environmental sensitivities. But this is a laundromat where you're not allowed to bring your own laundry soap. They use absolutely non-toxic, fragrance-free stuff. So the only fumes that enter the building are the fumes that every now and then are on some person because of their stinky personal care products. But there's sterilization, which is nicely reassuring uh, in these times of COVID pandemic and flu. Uh, but it's also a fun place. It's kind of posh for a laundromat. There's even like a loft space where you can go in and sit at tables and talk while you're watching your laundry dry. It's um, it's rather chic and uh, staffed by very nice people. Uh, Clean Eugene. Let's, <laughs> let's give a shout out to Clean Eugene on 7th Avenue because it is quite a place. And it's also surrounded by restaurants and cafes. And the restaurants and cafes here in Eugene and Springfield have really got their pandemic service down. I am so impressed with how they manage things. So that's also a joy. You know, a lot of things are takeout and they may manage the number of people who come into a place at any one time, but all these little businesses, they've managed to stay open. It's so cool. It's, it's, there's life, there's life here. And uh, we'll, we'll see. I think people are going to show adaptable, creative ways, even if we're going to be set back by yet another variation of the coronavirus. We'll just see what happens. So anything else before we decide to sign off? Yes, I think it's like, it, I feel, I think, you know, and I'll speak for you, but I feel that for, for whatever reason, 2020, you know, first of all, I think it sounds so science fictiony. We're living in 2022. I think it's time really? to start acting like we're living in 2022. I mean, in other words, like looking for the future and doing things and changing and reinvention and having mm -hmm. fun and having a big spark of energy. Um, so I'm actually feeling, you know, you know, for some reason, the previous years, I didn't feel it, but this year, I'm definitely kind of feeling it and doing the podcast again and doing art projects, getting, you know, getting some writing things finished, mm -hmm. having fun, doing some social things, exploring mm -hmm. more. I'm looking very forward to it. Yes, me too. Well, we're planning to do this at least once a month. Uh, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do this at least once a month. We have to, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. Well, listeners, happy new year to you and uh, just stay safe and have fun. And we will be talking to you soon. And let us know if there's something you'd like us to talk about. Take care. Hey, listeners, you can connect with me and Chris on social media. How about that? So, for more information about Love's Outer Limits, you can go to Facebook, so https colon forward slash forward slash www.facebook.com forward slash Love's Outer Limits forward slash. To connect with me, you can go to 
Dr. Amy Marsh, remember I'm a Zier, and see my professional website at https colon forward slash forward slash amymarshsexologist.com. And on Twitter, I'm at Amy Marsh Sex Doctor. That's just DR, not spelled out. And for counseling sessions and interviews, you can write to me at dr. Period, Amy Marsh Sexologist at gmail.com. And for information about the Guild of Ornamental Hermits fantasy novels, which are going to start coming out in 2022, go to https colon forward slash forward slash guild dash of dash ornamental dash hermits.com. Now for connecting with M. Christian, pronouns they, them, go to www.mchristian.com. And on Twitter, you can reach them at mchristianzobop, Z-O-B-O-P at the end. And the Instagram address is the same. Our music credit is from https colon forward slash forward slash filmmusic.io. And it is The Waltz of Treachery by Kevin McLeod at https colon forward slash forward slash incompetech.com. The license is Creative Commons uh, 4.0. Thank you so much for listening, and do let us know what you'd like to hear more about.